Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 4-1909. And we're going to continue with, I believe, our third and final part of this Twilight series. And picking up where we left off from this article, Twilighter fans are affected with its influence and spell as witnessed on the internet where they are encountered to write their own fan fiction stories about Twilight characters. Now, this is another thing I might have touched on, but when you buy a Twilight book and you bring it into your house and you've paid money for it, you're essentially, it's like paying for a curse. Okay? You bring it in your house, it stays in your house. It's like buying the Satanic Bible. You know, you bring that into your house, it's going to affect you, and, it's, and it gives the demons a right to be in your dwelling, essentially. So, just be careful about this type of stuff. Um, like I said, the, the man... Um, the the um, man that I had mentioned before about how he went um, uh, Christian brother had went and started reading all of uh, Alice Bailey's works and it wasn't too long after he did that that we had a you know we went our separate ways and it's amazing the spell that comes over a person that they don't see it they do not see it. They're not aware of it. But if you give the devil entrance into your life, don't expect to see it. Because you won't. You'll be blinded to it. And um, we parted ways. And I actually, to be quite honest with you, I'm glad we parted ways. Because I didn't want to be around him if that's what he was going to be immersing himself in. Um, so anyway, uh, going back to this. So the Twilighter fans are affected with its influence and spell as witnessed on the internet where they're encouraged to write their own fan fiction stories about Twilight characters. This is not harmless entertainment, but rather a satanic ploy to engage fans to the use of spiritual imagination, to conjure, to create their own reality, and a central belief of witchcraft. You know, that is kind of like in the book of Judges where it says every man did that which was right in his own eyes in those days. And you look at the book of Judges, I mean, that was like the bottom of the barrel of, of um, being out of the will of God, pretty much, for the Israelites. You know, every man did the which right in his own eyes. You know, so, that's, you know, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And if you're doing something that seems right to you, and it's contradictory to the Bible... Well, the end thereof are the ways of death. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. The other one was Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. Another verse. So, going further, Twilighters have a, quote, Stephanie Meyer Day on September 13th. 13 being the number of rebellion. To honor the birthday of the character Bella. This fictional character. They dress up like the characters in the book, just like Harry Potter people do. View frenzied fans and the out-of-control craze on Nightline's coverage. And they've got links here in this article. And I will post this up on the internet, um, you know, on the PDF that's associated with this teaching. Uh, they call them, they're called Twihards. Twihards are obsessed these are the fans of Twilight, are obsessed with Twilight occult contents as Harry Potter fans were bewitched with its Wiccan witchcraft instructions. Many don't realize occultism 
the craving for hidden wisdom or knowledge, because that's what a cult means. It means hidden knowledge. Just like Gnostic. I'm a Gnostic Christian. Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense, but there's people that call themselves that. Gnosticism is the, is the pursuit of hidden, occultic, esoteric knowledge. Occult is the same, basically essentially means the same thing. It has a spiritual addiction power, much like drugs demand a dependency. Fans wear t-shirts displaying the character saying, and one t-shirt reads, quote, forbidden fruit tastes the best. Now, obviously, this is a knockoff of what happened in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. And once Eve ate that, and and Adam ate that, then sin entered in, and now we're in the mess we're in now. And I'm not going to blame Adam and Eve. I'm not going to say I would have done, you know, I'm Mr. Perfect here. I'm just saying that that's where it happened. But that's what their their fruit, their their motto for Twilight, one of their mottos is the forbidden fruit tastes the best. Well, yes, sin is pleasurable for a season. But the end thereof are the ways of death, unfortunately. Christian youth's involvement in the shocking abandonment of God's authority should be of concern enough, but the sadder still is that the youth in general are being seduced to embrace Satan's lies and reap eternal damnation. Adult Christians, rather than protecting youth, are feeding them to Satan, who, who is known to be a prowling lion, according to 1 Peter 5.8. Satan deceived Eve with the promise of wisdom. Uh, Genesis 3, we talked about that, and suggested God's forbidding was on the grounds of meanness and not a loving concern. It's true, he's always trying to twist God's word. Satan continues his attack on the truth of God's word and his essential character of love, um, comparing it in the Twilight series to erotic sex, by targeting younger and younger Christian youth. Jesus warned, whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast in the midst of the sea. Matthew 18.6. I've quoted that verse many times. Christians are duty-bound to preach God's good news of repentance and warn against occultic involvement, vampirism, witchcraft, uplifting the power of the word of God and not fanning the spiritual disobedience as many Christian organizations are doing. What Catholic and other religious organizations are saying about the Twilight series. Catholic News Service has this to say of Edward the Vampire. This is the Catholic News Service. They say, quote, Just because you're a vampire, it doesn't mean you can't be a gentleman. End of quote. It continues to praise the vampire and ties one scene directly to the vampire, appearing as an angel of light, only to offer forbidden fruit just as Satan did, so long ago in the Garden of Eden. Uh, I think this is another quote from them. Soon after Bella sees Edward, an optical illusion makes it appear as though he sprouted angels' wings. But a later scene has them casually handling an apple symbolic of mutual temptation. Now, this whole thing about angels having wings, we see biblical precedents for seraphim and cherubim to have wings. Now, incidentally, Satan is the, the anointed cherub, was the anointed cherub that covereth. That's what he was, how he's referred to in the Bible. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. He basically, most likely covered the throne of God, shielding God's glory. Because you couldn't look on his glory and live. Satan has wings. And um, a cherub, you know, four faces, I'm not going to get into all that today, but 
I've done a whole teaching on angels with wings and women angels and halos. Just key that in. Just key an angel and, and you'll get the full lowdown on that. It's not a very long teaching. Um, but angels with wings um, are not biblical. Men, angels always appeared as men in the Bible. That Very typically different men. Usually typically very good looking men. But in the Bible, that's how they always manifest. They didn't manifest as some guy angel with big long wings in a halo. But that's how Hollywood wants to portray them. That way, when those same winged demons or fallen angels appear to you, you're going to think they're good. And they're straight from the pit of hell. And they can be transformed into an angel of light. In fact, that interview I was telling you about the other day, one of the main things they said is whenever these, particularly the higher fallen angelic beings would appear, they would appear as an angel of light. And the light would be so bright that they would actually, some of them would become almost blinded for a time. Because it was so bright. They're trying to imitate the way that, that a lot of times God would probably manifest. Well, how would they know that? Well, they a third of the angels fell with Lucifer, and then he became Satan. So they're aware of God's ways and the way that God operated on this planet. They're aware of that. They're trying to counterfeit and mimic that. They're trying to counterfeit and mimic that experience. And they always appear very, 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 very beautiful. And a lot of them appear as women. I don't see any precedent for female angels, female um, good angels. I mean, when the fallen angels fell in Genesis 6, it says the sons of God, meaning masculine, saw the daughters of men. It didn't say the sons and daughters of God saw the sons and daughters of men and took them wives and husbands of all that they chose. It says purely good angels in the Bible are always associated with with the masculine tense. And female angels with wings are warned about in the Bible, and I talk about that. And and the Bible says this thing is wicked. And I give you the whole study on that. You can go read about that. Um, It's it's right in the Bible, but you're never going to hear it. I've never ever heard a a teaching on it. The Lord showed it to me. When I read the Bible, you know, through, and, and it was just one of the things he showed me. So anyway, going further, uh, let's see here. The Catholic News Service doesn't warn of the spiritual dangers, but continues to whitewash the demonic theme of the movie by saying, quote, It never takes itself too seriously, the movie Twilight. Preferring instead to use its ill-matched couple's predicament. Oh, it's just this little predicament of this vampire she's fallen in love with. Their little predicament. They use this predicament to parody both adolescence awkwardness and teenage yearning. This is what the Catholic News Center is saying. The reviewer concludes that the movie, quote, is acceptable for older teens. Oh, I'm so glad you straightened that out for us, Mr. Catholic, on your way to hell. I'm sorry, but, you know, they, they are. It's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. And I've done several teachings on Catholicism, on the idolatry involved, on the works-based salvation, on the pedophile priesthood, you name it. All the Marian apparitions. I got a whole word file on just key and ha- part of the word Catholicism in my search box on my homepage. And look at the PDF file. Had a guy email me the other day. He said, yeah, you exposed the zeitgeist, but how dare you condemn the Catholic religion. I was like, oh, my word. Oh. Anyway, going further, 
The Christian stay-at-home mom's website praised the movie. Now remember, last week, I talked about uh, the one lady that had emailed me. Let me just see if I can find that real quick. Yeah, here it is. She when I when I had mentioned doing a Twilight series, and she said I would agree. Now this is the lady that emailed me. This is one of the people that emailed me saying we should do this teaching in Twilight. She said an expose on the Twilight series, unfortunately, would be a very needed thing. Last semester at home at a homeschool co-op, I saw young ladies holding on to these books, reading them in their spare time between classes. Well, I wonder now it makes a lot of sense to me why this homeschool co-op these girls are reading them because right here. The Christian stay-at-home mom's website praised the movie. Now, homeschoolers are typically one of the more strong movements, but no, not anymore. This is what the Christian stay-at-home mom's website says about Twilight. If you ask me, I would be more willing to let my 13-year-old daughter watch this movie, Twilight, than MTV, because the relationship between the two main characters really is a healthy one. Are you kidding me? A healthy one between a absolute devil in the flesh, a vampire, blood-drinking vampire, straight from the pit of hell, and a, and a human girl. That's a healthy relationship. This is how deluded and how deceived and perverse the church, so-called church, has become. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. What is that in reference to in the Bible? Idols. That's what the Bible says about idols. They have eyes, but they cannot see. Ears, but they cannot hear. Mouths, but they cannot speak. Well, yeah, it's a little carved idol. And they that worship them are like them. That's what the next verse says in Psalms. And they that worship them are like them. In other words, if you worship an idol that has eyes that they cannot see, ears that they cannot hear, a mouth that it cannot speak, if you worship one of those things, you're like them. You have eyes, but you cannot see, ears you cannot hear. You may have a mouth and be able to speak, but it's not truth. You're blinded. Unbelievable. So then it goes on to say, after saying that this is a healthy relationship, there is really not a whole lot of... And now, this is a direct quote from their website. This is, there is really not a whole lot of emphasis on being in a sexual relationship. So evidently, that makes it more palatable. And there are a couple of scenes where you see them just talking to each other. Oh, isn't that admirable? Didn't Satan do the same thing when he came to Eve? He didn't just come out and try to, ha you know, have some relationship with her or something. He talked to her. Subtly. He was the most subtle beast of the field. Well, that's how this Twilight series starts out subtle. You know, it's not coming out where they're driving stakes into each other's hearts and chopping each other's heads off and stuff like that. It's subtle. It's how Satan does stuff. Then it goes on to say, I was very impressed by the positive relationship between the two. Between Bella and the vampire, Edward. They were, homeschool moms were impressed. It's, I think it's good for teenagers to see that to be a couple, you don't have to have sex and make out all the time. Or at all. Ooh, wow, now we're really getting biblically correct. Do you believe what I'm reading to you? 
This is a direct quote. In this article, you can click on the link that will take you right to the stay-at-home's mom website, where this praising, where this quote comes from. Now, you may have to click on the main link at the start of the article to get there, because when I have text links, and I convert them to a PDF from a Word file, the text links don't work. But I always try to make sure I post the website link so you can click right to the source and you can click on these links for yourself. I don't want you to think I'm just making this stuff up. So, then it goes on to say, okay, no, that was the end of the quote. The Christian stay-at-home mom needs to weigh all against scripture as the bottom line to a Christian faith and not to promote her 13-year-old daughter to accept as approved the message of a vampire wanting to drink the blood of his girlfriend because the vampire is, quote, good and does not engage in sexual intercourse on screen, at least in this movie, but in subsequent movies they do. The reviewer concludes from this Christian stay-at-home mom, she says, quote, All in all, I give this movie a three out of four stars because I thought it was a great movie. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. And as a man thinketh, so is he. We're not supposed to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. They're commending the unfruitful works of darkness. They're acting as Satan's agent. But again, if you knew all the infiltration that has already been done on virtually every religious organization worldwide, particularly at the top, this wouldn't really surprise you. Fritz Springmeier wrote a whole book on this called, called Be Wise as Serpents, where he showed you all the, all the um, infiltration. That's why I don't want anything to do with 501c3 corporations or any of this garbage. Parent church organizations. Show me that in the Bible. Where's there the scriptural precedence for, for having your church as a corporation and having other governing bodies above it? All it does is allow Satan to enter in and corrupt it. And again, if you have any doubts of that, just key in the words 501, like 501c3, 501 in the keyword search box on my homepage. And then key on the PDF, click on the PDF for that sermon, and it's called Satan's Master Plan to Destroy the Churches. And listen to the teachings, if you have any doubt. (coughs) Most Christian ministries anymore are almost nothing more than tools of Satan. They're the subtle, seducing tools of Satan. They are put there now to create lukewarmness, to leaven the church, to leaven the body of Christ, to make the word of God of none effect because of their tradition, their opinion. All by design, and the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. So don't get discouraged because the Bible clearly predicted it was going to be this way. These people have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're speaking lies and hypocrisy, and their consciences are seared with a hot iron. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. 1 Timothy 4.1 So again, this isn't something we should be all amazed about. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's what the Bible says. And in regard to the times that we're living in Jesus Christ... Matthew 24 and several other places, he said, be not deceived. Be not deceived. 
Satan is going to come as an angel of light. He's going to come with all lines, signs, and wonders, and miracles, and deceive virtually all people on the planet. Are you ready? See, when you know what the real thing is, though, which is the Word of God, then you can spout a counterfeit. But if you're not in the Word of God, if you don't even have, if you're reading some perverted Bible, how are you going to spout the counterfeit? If you're not saved, you're really behind, I guess, the eight ball. That's not a good term to use, but I'm just saying. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside you to give you discernment. Well, what if you have no fear of God? Oh, God's just the big guy in the sky. No fear of God in your life. Well, hold on. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of understanding, it's the beginning of knowledge. If somebody would say to me, well, how do you know all this stuff? Fear of God. I prayed for the fear of God. I still do. Do I operate in the fear of God like I should? No. I don't. I fail God every day. I'd be the first to admit it. I'm not proud of it, but I do. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So if you want to know stuff, if you want to be able to discern stuff, you need to pray for the fear of God, particularly if, you, if it's not operating in your life. Because there's more blessings connected with the fear of God than any other thing I could pinpoint in the Bible. Fear of God will keep you humble too. Humility is a prerequisite for pleasing God. To this man will I look, to him that is a contrite and humble spirit, and trembleth at my word. What does that all imply? That's Isaiah 66. It implies fear of God, and what does that create? A humble and a contrite spirit before God. And many times before your fellow man. It trembleth at my word. Jesus Christ, the word of God says that Moses was the meekest man on earth. Meek, though, does not mean weak. He was the meekest man on earth. Who did God choose to commune with on earth? Probably more than anyone that's, that the, the Bible's ever talked about. Moses. Remember, he would go into the tent and he would have to come out with a veil on because he had, he had actually been talking with God and his face shone so brightly people couldn't even look on his face. Woo! I mean, that's a relationship there. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the meekest man on earth. Is meekness something you should pray for? I think so. But he had a real bad temper. And that, unfortunately, his temper was what caused him not to go into the promised land. And again, we could get off on that rabbit trail and go down in... in I'm not judging Moses, trust me. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> Talk to him. Um, but anyway, so... Just interesting points here to uh, look at. So if we go further, so they gave it a three out of four stars because they thought the movie was great. Another Christian website has on its banner the words "Shining Light on the World," "Shining Light on the World of Popular Entertainment," and then it says, which begs the question: What light are you shining? Jesus says there is a light within you that is darkness, and how great that darkness is, according to Matthew 6, 22-23. Deception appears as light, as Satan can come in as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. We already quoted that verse several times today. The Christian organization, Focus on the Families, plugged in online website, Focus on the Family, they have, has this very positive thing to say about Christians desiring to see the movie about a vampire a teenage girl, and in the, their lust for one another. So this is focus on the family's take on Twilight. 
Now, remember, Focus on the Family did endorse Harry Potter when it first came out, and then they recanted later. Well, the damage was already done, so, you know. Here's what Focus on the Family says. Quote, Family is a big part of what nurtures Twilight's love. Family. Yeah. Nothing like a good witch coven, you know, to get you really serving God, right? No. They say... Family is a big part of what nurtures Twilight's love. Edward's coven family of vampires is a loving one. Can you believe this? I, I read these quotes and I couldn't even believe what I was reading. Then it says, this is the same quote, each member is committed to protecting the others. Even Bella, when she becomes part of them through her relationship with Edward. End of quote. Unbelievable. It just mind-boggling. And then it says, the wor this word coven belongs to Wiccan terminology and is a place where Wiccans convene for pagan rituals. Technically, though, I can give you a little more information that coven is a, is a group of 13 witches, 13 being the number of rebellion. And so anyway, <laughs> why encourage teenagers to embrace pagan ideology which flies in the face of biblical discernment? The book series and its movie create the pagan illusion that there is a good side to darkness and it is okay to be part of the white side. The white witchcraft. Which is what Wiccan white witchcraft they call themselves say they are. See, they wear pentagrams or pentacles. A pentagram is a star, interlaced star with a circle around it. A pentacle is just a star, interlaced star without the circle. Wiccans wear their pentacles pointy side up, meaning they're good witches. People that are involved in black witchcraft wear their pentacles or pentagrams pointy side down, which would be more symbolic of black witchcraft, which is also symbolic of Baphomet, which is also known as the goat of Mendez, which is like this androgynous Satan goat female, male, androgynous being. Just sickening. It's the God the Masons worship. In fact, Chick Track has a whole track on it called The Curse of Baphomet. So anyway, uh, Paul teaches, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Focus on the family, whether wittingly or unwittingly. I will never give them the credit of it being unwittingly. I don't, I don't anymore. I just don't. I don't give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. I believe that they are tools of Satan, most of these ministries right now at this point. Most. I'm not saying all. I'm saying most. Focus on the family encourages the deception that a, quote, loving vampires are therefore good. Scripture warns not to call evil good. and says there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof the ways of death. Focus on the family's reviewer continues with a lack of spiritual discernment, writing, so within the context of a monster mash such as this, we can see a reflection of the Christian calling to put away the old man of sin and embrace the new one. This is sick. Twisted. Perverted. 
oh man, you got to be have your mind darkened by Satan to even say something like that. Now, let's look at that last quote again from Focus on the Family. So within the context of this monster mash, such as this, we can see a reflection of the Christian calling to put away the old man of sin and embrace the new one. How, where is that? The only thing, the only parallel I could draw on that, which is an evil parallel, is the fact that could this be, this, could this reference that they're talking about be between Bella's struggle to give in, which she finally does, and finally become a vampire? Is that putting on the new man? That's the only, she's a new creature in Satan. That's the parallel, it's the only parallel I can really see. So this is comparing the vampire, supposedly, comparing the vampire's struggle to hold back his desire to devour his young lover and drink her blood to the transformational power of the Lord Jesus Christ. What rank blasphemy. I'll tell you, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And we need it. We need judgment. We need God's judgment. It's the only thing that's going to change anything within within the lukewarm church. Judgment. Now, I'm not saying they're all going to wise up. Many of them, when judgment comes, will just harden themselves toward God and their, their true colors will, will really, really show then. They will show that they are of the father of the devil and of his works they were do. They will show that they were just playing church the whole time. Some of them will wake up, though. I do believe that. Focus's reviewer admits, Edward considers himself and all other vampires to be eternally damned. And he resists mightily the idea of allowing Bella to descend into the abyss that he finds himself submerged in. Now remember, this is Focus and the Family. Quote, She doesn't care a whit about that, about her eternal soul. No. She's eager to become a cold one. If it, quote, quote, cold one. If only it means that she will be with her true love forever. Well, when she dies, she's not going to be with, you know, her true love. She's going to be burning in hell and then the lake of fire. Yet Focus on the Family recommends this positive movie to the, quote, Christian youth despite its blatant occultism. Edward can read minds, his sister Alice sees vision of the future, and only negative, and the only negative admission from Focus is that the characters Edward and Bella are lie to protect the vampire's identity. Oh, they just tell little white lies to protect the, the identity. It's all pure witchcraft, which is absolutely, totally forbidden in the Bible. Now, I've done a whole series called Witchcraft, uh, Biblically Defined. Just keen part of the word witchcraft, you'll find it. I go through and, set, and we look at what the Bible says about witchcraft. Okay, so brace yourself, there's more. ChristianityTodayMovies.com So this is Christianity Today, they have, I think, the magazine... And now they've got ChristianityTodayMovies.com says, Well, I think most Twilight fans will eat this up like vampires at a blood bank. That's their first quote. These quotes get more and more outrageous. Like vampires at a blood bank. Talk about mocking the things of God. And then it says, and then it says Forbidden loved and angst with passion. Meyer, a Mormon, interjected her book with moral themes. 
she's a Mormon. Hey, they got to have the morals, you know. Hey, yeah, they can communicate with demons and devils, and stuff, but they got good morals. Give me a break. She interjected her book with moral themes with which Christians resonate. Oh, it resonated with me. While the use of vampires and other evil creatures can be off, off, offensive to some Christians, oh, not to me. I'm I'm good with it. You know. It, it says they are not symbolic of demons here. No, 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 no. They're, they're not symbolic of demons. They are merely a story device to create the forbidden and mysterious love interest. Oh, I'm so glad you straightened that out for me. ChristianityTodayMovies.com It's just unbelievable. Absolutely incomprehensible. To add salt to the wound, this Christian movie review site includes a Bible study at the end of the review, complete with scriptural references to encourage dialogue about the movie. The Bible study that follows is taken above from the Christianity Today website. They tell you, read Matt, Mark 7, 21-23, Matthew 4, 1-11, and Romans 7, 14-24. This is their Bible study, patterned after Twilight Saga of the vampires. And then it says on the website, what do these verses say about our desires and temptations? And then it says, how are Edward's attempts not to give in to his evil desires like the life of a Christian? Edward's the vampire. Edward now is our example because he didn't give in to his temptation to kill Bella. Even though later she converts to one of the vampires and she's one of the walking dead too. At least he didn't kill her at the start. Oh, boy. And again, Jesus Christ is our example, but now all of a sudden, Edward, the vampire, is our example. This is how sick and twisted and warped and perverted so-called Christianity has become. This is just a little sliver. Here's another question they have on the website. In what way, in in the Bible study on Christianity Today website, in what ways does the movie show Edward setting boundaries? As Christians often do. To avoid temptations. So they're equating Edward with a Christian and looking at him as an example about setting boundaries to avoid temptations. It's like the truth is truly stranger than fiction. Can you believe this? And then here's the next question. Some say that Deuteronomy 12, 23-25, which forbids eating blood is reason enough for Christians to avoid vampires in movies, vampire stories in movies. Then they ask the question, is that an appropriate application of the verse? Why or why not? No, no, it's, it's just crystal clear. And you, Now, if you want to hear all the verses that pertain not to eating blood, I gave them at the uh, near the start of part one. <laughs> That's just one of the many. You don't eat blood, ever. But is that is that an appropriate application of the verse? You know, it's subject to your own opinion, in other words. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Oh no, I think I'm going to be as God, and I'm going to interpret God's word. And that's not really what it means. In fact, I don't like that verse. It's basically what you're doing. You're playing God. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. And woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. When you start to say, well, I don't like that verse, and I'm not gonna, I don't think that 
the King James Bible is the Word of God, and I like my my ESV or whatever perversion you got. My living, basically cussing the Living Bible. I had one before I knew this. Well, aren't you despising the Word of God when you when you when you take that attitude that well. Yeah, that Bible verse, it really chafes my hide and exposes my sin. And I don't, I don't think, it's not, I don't believe this. I don't believe, well, whoso despiseth the word, the same shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, 13. Now, Proverbs is the book of wisdom in 13, 13, the number of rebellion twice. Now, I'm not big into biblical numerics. I just think that's kind of interesting. 13, 13, rebellion. Proverbs the book of wisdom. Something to think about. How many people, Christians, are despising the word of God just by their own actions and their lifestyle and what Bible that they read and what Bible they hate. Which a lot of times is the King James. Oh, I, I can't read that. It's, it's too old English for me. There's a... Uh, you can go up on the internet to the Noah Webster's 1828, just do a keyword search, and there's two different sites that define every single word in the King James Bible in the applications they were written. Because applications have changed somewhat in the last two, three, four hundred years. Remember, 1611 King James. I understand that it was revised. The, the version that we have, I believe, is the 1769, I believe. I may be off by a few years. Sorry, okay. Um, but in that application, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, no Webster's, defines them the most accurately. Okay, and I remember I had the same hang-up when I was in the para, uh, charismatic, <laughs> parasitical, um, charismatic movement, Pentecostal thing that I came out of. I had the same hang-up. I couldn't. I didn't want to read it. Oh, yeah, it's this and that. But you know what's funny? When I truly got a hold of what the King James Bible was, and it was one of the main reasons I came out of the Pentecostal church. And when I finally, it, it's it's not a, it's not even a remote bother for me anymore. And I don't have those same hang-ups. I believe it was demonic. I believe it was the devil trying to get me not to read it. Anyway, just a little side note there. So, um, then it, the next question is, what do you think of Bella's desire to become a vampire so she can be with Edward forever? Would it be worth it? Like, that should even be a question. Would it be worth Oh, yeah, is, is eternal damnation and separation from God... Is it worth it? Yeah, I don't know. It's a question. It could go either way. It's how they're wording these things. So one wonders how many churches and church youth groups are getting involved in a Bible study based on the Twilight series. And how many Christians are getting trapped into the new emergent style deception of the Hegelian dialoguing. How many realize this type of dialectic, group-thinking conversation is an attempt to compromise the Christian faith, compromise the Christian faith based on God's absolute truths with the idea that truth is relative and it shifts? No, it's not. The Bible is very black and white. But, you know, hey, they want to interject their opinion, their heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But that's exactly what they're trying to get to do. They're trying to question the word of God and using a vampire story to do it. God encourages the study of his word so that we can be approved, an approved workman. Second uh, Timothy, 
2, 14 through 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Youth must come to the things which are proper for sound doctrine, according to Titus 2, 1, for the sake of their eternal souls. Uh, and again, we've already read um, 2 Timothy uh, 4. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. We need to read uh, the KJV for this one. 2 Timothy 2. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 4, 3, and 5. Okay, so let's just read, let's start at verse 2. Preach the word. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Again, to reprove means to make light, to manifest something, to, to show something to be evil that is evil. Okay, we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them? Reprove. And again, that's a verse, you know... That's, a, that's something that so many so-called Christians never, ever, ever... Oh, that's judging. We're supposed to judge. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. The only kind of judging we're not supposed to do is the kind where we have a beam in our own eye and we judge the speck in our brothers, which is hypocritical judgment. We have no right to judge. We've got to get the beam out of our own eye first. Then, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. Jesus Christ said, judge righteous judgment. Reproving involves judgment. It says reprove, rebuke. Where does it say rebuke? The Bible talks about rebuke such an one sharply that they, be, that they may be found sound in the faith. When it talks about the Cretans, and it says, Paul said they're always liars and slow bellies. This witness is true. That's what Paul said. Oh, he was judging the Cretans. That was a whole race of people he was judging. That they were always liars and slow bellies? And he said, this witness is true? That's what Paul said. Then it said, rebuke such an one sharply, that they may be found sound in the faith. Do you love them enough to tell them tell the truth? Galatians 4.16 says, Am I become your enemy, therefore, because I tell you the truth? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. That's what we're doing today. We're exhorting. We're reproving and we're rebuking these unfruitful works of darkness. And then it says, with all long-suffering and doctrine. See, you back it up with the Bible. You back it up with the doctrine of the Bible. Not leaven doctrine, but you back it up with Bible verses. Which is what I hopefully do with these teachings. And then it says, for the time will come, which is, this is now where we're at, when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is today. If it was ever, ever any time in history, it's today. But after, them, after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to hear more. They want to hear. They want to have all these teachers. Smiley Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn and Cruffalo Give Me a Dollar. All these guys. All these 501c3 apostate ministers. Paul Crouch. TBN. Sky Angel. All this stuff. They want to have these teachers having itching ears. But see, they're turning away from sound doctrine. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Isn't that what we're talking about today? And shall be turned unto fables. What's the fable? The vampiric fables of old. The lore of the vampires. 
So, you know, that's that's where we're at. That's exactly where we're at today. And so can it get worse? The following quotes are from a Christian teen magazine. See, it gets just worse. Campus Life's... It's Christian teen magazine called Campus Life's Ignite Your Faith. It should be Snuff Out Your Faith is what they should call it. Campus Life, Snuff Out Your Faith. Because that's what it's doing. But it's ignite your faith. They always have a lot to do with fire. I think that's always a run. Todd Bentley, when I did like all those teachings on Todd Bentley, you know, you, you, you heard that he got, I think, remarried to that woman that he left his wife for, unrepentantly. Yeah, they're, they're married. And they, they started up their ministry again. I believe with the blessing of Rick Joyner. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of a blessing. But, again, it's never, ever going to be anything like he was, what was before. Even the Pentecostals saw through that one, for the most part, after this all broke. But, anyway. This is Campus Life's Ignite Your Faith. Snuff Out Your Faith is what I like to call it. Which is a subsidiary of Christianity today. Stacy Lingle, after reading the series, writes in her article, What Shines in Twilight? She says, looking at four key ideas of the vampire saga that stands out for Christ followers. She says, what do these books say about God, about life, and about love? In over 2,300 pages of reading, 2,300 pages, that's a lot. There's a lot to digest. What are the key ideas and attitudes in the Twilight Saga? A few stood out to me as a Christian. Lingle suggests the first, quote, Christian key is love. Where she finds a way to Christianize an anti-biblical concept. She says, quote, their biggest conflict is whether Bella should become a vampire. She wants to spend eternity with Edward. Bella and Edward's relationship actually exemplifies a lot of what the Bible says love should be. Think about the Bible's description. Love is patient. Love is kind. According to 1 Corinthians 13.4. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. According to John 15.13. This is her take on this. Of course, no real couple can be this perfect all the time. I mean, they're a perfect couple, right? Just a vampire and, and a girl. But these passages and stories like Bella and Edwards remind us of the perfect love that God has for us. Oh, I just want to come unglued. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Oh, my word. This is righteous indignation. It gets, these quotes just keep getting worse. More and more blasphemous. Ah. I don't even know what to say about that one. And again, this is what happens when somebody wants to isolate a little verse of Scripture and apply it to one of their own little opinion whims. We're we're totally ignoring the fact that 
vampires and all this and witchcraft and all this is absolutely totally forbidden in the Bible and was punishable by a death sentence in the Old Testament. And it's a death sentence in this life as well because if you continue in this, you're just going to end up in the lake of fire. Not to say that if you're a witch, it's the, I mean, we could get into the whole salvation message, but I'm, I'm talking about this lifestyle, if you stay in it, obviously that's where you're going to end up. But it's okay because it's done in love, evidently, according to this twisted uh, sister. She's not a sister in Christ, but I don't know. It's just unbelievable. Then it goes on to say, now pick yourself up off the floor and get ready for Lingle's statement that connects romantic love with God's agape love. She writes, and this is the same quote, God intends for romantic love to reflect his deep desire for an intimate relationship with each of us. The Bible even calls us his bride. While there may not be an Edward or a Bella in our lives, oh, isn't that a shame? God's love is a perfect love that never ends and never fails. And again, this is getting back to the comments. Unfortunately, this type of fleshly interpretation is a very real spiritual stupor which has befallen much of Christendom. You know, the Bible says if the blind leadeth the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. If you're letting these organizations, these govern you spiritually, you're going to end up in a ditch and you're already in a ditch. And then it goes on to say, Lingle's second Christian key is temptation. She writes, this is this lady at uh, this Christian ministry, she says, the vampire in Edward is tempted by Bella's scent, the scent of her blood. It's all he can do not to devour her at first. And then, as the relationship progresses, they face a very different physical temptation, sex. So again, Lingle links scripture with lust, uh, this temptation that affects everyone. Oh, again, Lingle links the scripture with lust. Now, she goes on to say, quote from her again, Temptation affects everybody, even Jesus. The Bible describes how after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. I understand the Bible does say he was tempted at all points as man. Okay, but he never gave in. And then it says Satan tried to use food, power, pride to cause Jesus to sin. Yet Jesus didn't sin even though he was tempted. Lingle continues the blasphemy by suggesting the reader can overcome temptation by taking a cue from both Jesus and Edward the vampire. Exhorting young readers, quote, for starters, we can take a cue from Jesus and yes, even Edward on how to deal with temptation and sin. We can go to the devil and and use him as an example on how to deal with sin. How is that possible? He is the father of sin, essentially. The father of lies. Oh, and, and the third Christian key is spirituality, which Lingle confuses with being a true biblical Christian. Her comment is weak at best and dangerous at worst. Quote, spirituality is certainly relevant to the reading of Twilight. After all, part of the allure of the Twilight series is that it is otherworldly. It's fantasy. Sorry, ladies, but there aren't really gorgeous, shimmering, chivalrous vampires and werewolves out there waiting to complete your life and mine. Sorry, ladies. 
as though it's a bad thing. There's not gorgeous, shimmering vampires and werewolves out there to complete your life and mine. I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone reading this. As though that would be a good thing. So according to Lingle, vampires werewolves could complete a young girl's life if they were real and gorgeous. That's her reasoning. Her fourth Christian key is the conclusion to her so-called, quote, Bible lesson. Now remember, these are people up there that are teaching other Christians. This woman is put herself in, in really the, the um, capacity of a pastor. She's teaching biblical tenets to other... She's somewhere where God never, ever called her to. Women are not called to be pastors. And you can say, well, yes, but this ministry is just to women. I, she's teaching both men and women. This is, this is not like a site where you, know, you have to enter some password where you can only teach women. A lot of ministries on the internet, which are totally, women are up there acting as though they're a pastor. They're, they're teaching the Bible to both men and women. It's unbiblical. There is biblical qualifi- qualifications for a pastor, or whether you call them an elder, or a deacon, or a spiritual overseer. I did a whole study on it. The biblical qualifications for a pastor and what women can do for the Lord. I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm being biblical. God said it was biblical for a woman to be a pastor. I wouldn't have a problem with it. But he didn't. And that's another thing that we could... I already went down that trail when I did that teaching. So you can see that. And Anyway, uh, goes on. So her fourth Christian key is the conclusion to her so-called Bible lesson where she poses several questions to her readers that promote collective discussion. Oh, good. So there is a way we seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Collective discussion labeled as Christian or biblical forcing a redefinition of vampirism and the occult. One statement I found particularly disturbing was, quote, Edward expresses his belief that God created vampires alongside humans. That's what Edward says. So it's just a natural creation of God. And then it goes on to say, in a predatory prey relationship. So, let me read this again. One of the statements that she found particularly was, quote, Edward expresses his belief that God created vampires alongside humans in a predatory, quote, slash, prey relationship. How do you react to this? Does this fit the character of God that you know? So in other words, these vampires are just natural creatures. They have every right to be here just like, even though we're their prey. Can't, can't blame them for being, you know, the walking damned. It's not their fault. They deserve to feed on us. They got to eat too, right? And again, this is something I'm not just saying so that we like get mad. Pray about it. Get on your knees. Cry out for God to judge this wickedness. If God judged this wickedness, all men would see and fear and declare the work of God that they would wisely consider of his doing, according to Psalm 64. When God judged the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, good things happened. Many were converted. Great fear fell upon the camp. Many were converted and got right with God. God's judgment always brings about good fruit. We may not like his judgment. 
And it's sure not good, fun to be in his judgment or under his chastisement, but it's always for a benefit better now than to, than to burn in hell for a lot of them or to be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says many that some will be saved at the judgment seat of fire or judgment seat of Christ, yet so as by fire. Now I'm not 100% sure what that means, but I really don't want to find out. Guaranteed, if you're, if you're saved, it so is by fire. You've had all your works burned up. Wood, hay, stubble. Anyway. I never forget the time of the last church I was at. I brought that verse up to the pastor. About where the, at the judgment seat of Christ I was talking to this guy. And he, he just kind of walked. We weren't even talking to the pastor. And we, me and this guy, Joe. And Joe knew, knew the Bible really good. And we were talking about, yeah, that you know the Bible talks about where... You're saved, yet so is by fire. And he got this real puzzled look on his face. Gary. He's like, where where does it say that at? <laughs> Whoa! I looked at Joe, and he was just like, Roll. he didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. Whoa! A pastor? But you know, you, I remember his sermons, his teachings. They were all the same, seemed like. They were all the... <laughs> rehashed. I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. I just, he just, I couldn't believe it. He's a pastor. I don't know if God considers him a pastor. <laughs> the thing is, the, the thing that's ironic is that most of the people that would call themselves a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a spiritual overseer or a bishop or whatever you want to call yourself, I don't believe in God's eyes he considers them a pastor or whatever they call themselves. Because they, you have to be qualified, biblically qualified. And if you're not biblically qualified, how does God see you? I think he sees you quite differently than you may see yourself. I think that's true of everybody. God may see you quite differently than you see yourself, particularly if there's pride operating in your life. <laughs> oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who should, who should deliver me from the body of this death? I can relate to that verse by Paul. For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as a filthy rag, and we do all doth fade together as doth a leaf. Isaiah 64, 6, I believe. Now understand, the righteousness of Christ, a reborn, as, as a born-again Christian, God sees us differently. Okay? But I'm just saying, in, in, in and of ourselves, a 